This is Margie. Welcome to Shining Bright, the stories of everyday women who are doing amazing things. So this week, I'm going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is 4-H. And this episode is sponsored by Nationwide. They are on our side, and they're on the side of 4-H, too. Um, you know, 4-H is, is such an important program, and it is... Uh, throughout the country, whether it's urban, whether it's rural, whatever, whatever the location is, 4-H is there. And I'm going to tell you a little story about my experience with 4-H. And I brought my camera in to the studio with me today because my story revolves around my camera. So when I was a kid, I was probably maybe 10 years old. I'm not quite sure. I remember my mom saying, okay, we're gonna join this 4-H club. And I remember my brother and I being like, okay, what? And so we lived in the country and my parents were not farmers. My grandparents were, right? But we spent most of our time with our friends in town and I didn't know anybody who was in this 4-H club. And we were pretty new to the town. And so we joined the club and very quickly, I realized this is fun, right? Because I'm a pretty project-based person and to be able to be able to dig in and get to learn about different areas and apply that. So not just to learn about photography, but to be able to apply that. So, and oh, by the way, throw a contest in there, right? Where I can do a project, take it to the fair, put it up for display, see what people think about it and try to win the blue ribbon. So, so many fun things, so many lessons learned. And I can tell you that uh, some of my best memories, at the time I didn't know that they were my best memories, but my mom taught me how to sew uh, for 4-H projects. We would, we would pick a pattern, we would pick the material, an outfit every year and um, there was something called a fashion review and you could wear that outfit at the fair and I absolutely loved that and so I remember getting really 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 frustrated sorry mom um, that uh, you know sewing didn't seem to come easy and you know learning from your parents is never the easiest thing but I'm so glad I did learn it and it's something I still use on a regular basis today. I love to take pictures, obviously, by what I do. And that love started probably around the same time that I was in 4-H. I had not this big camera, but I had a little 110 film camera. And I would take pictures and enter them in as my projects as well. And again, I just loved it. You know, uh, that's the perfect example of two life skills that you can teach a kid and you can... Uh, kind of push them for, through a process so that they have to not only come up with a project but finish the project and then put it up in front of people, put them on a stage, have them tell people about it. These are life skills that can't be uh, bought, right? And so 4-H is such an important, an important, important, important organization for kids all across the country. And so today we're going to be talking with Jennifer Sarangelo, who's the president and CEO of the National 4-H Council. And I am so excited for you all to hear her story in leadership and as a woman uh, navigating in this industry. And I know you're going to love it just as much as I do. So let's take it 
all the way over to the East Coast. We're going to be visiting with Jennifer Sarangelo, who is the president and CEO of the National 4-H Council. And Jennifer and I actually ran into each other at, gosh, a, a pretty fun party in Austin, right? And we're able to make the connection. Yeah. So Jennifer, welcome to Shining Bright. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it was a, a fun night in, um, we were in Austin, right? And there was a band and there was a, a party and and um, a person that we both know from Nationwide said, oh, we need to connect you guys. And I was like, oh yes, this is, this is the lady that I have been wanting to meet too from 4-H. So, so good to be here. Um, and I'm excited to learn a little bit about your journey into the top role at a very prevalent organization across agriculture, across the country, in and out of agriculture. Um, so uh, thank you again for being here. So first question, uh, did you grow up rural? Did you grow up on a farm? Did you have any connection to agriculture? And uh, if so, what was it? Sure. Well, I am so glad to be here. Thank you for including me in this wonderful broadcast. So I'm really excited. Um, to be here with you today and share a little bit of my journey, which I hope can inspire others or maybe uh, add insight as they think about their journeys. Um, but for me, I did not grow up in agriculture or in rural America. I am a native of Kansas City, Missouri, and I grew up on the city in the city, but we have a big agriculture community in Kansas City. So the American Royal is a big deal. Um, we have so many agriculture companies. My great-grandparents had a farm in McPherson, Kansas, but I never got to see it. The family had sold it by the time I was born. So um, my family my family has also had a connection to food. My um, father's family is immigrants from Sicily, and my grandparents had a pizzeria in Kansas City. So they were in the food industry, but we weren't in agriculture. So I am fortunate to have found agriculture through 4-H uh, 14, 15 years ago now. Yeah, well, you know what? And I think that's an important thing that, um, you know, I always like to tell young people, like, you don't, it doesn't have to look one way, you know, if you weren't born, born in a barn, you know, and raised on a farm and, you know, like that hasn't been your life, it's okay. It doesn't preclude you from it because I am a lot like you. I actually did grow up in the country, but my parents weren't farmers. And so, you know, like I somehow stumbled into this industry and I haven't left now for, oh, like 18, 19 years, something like that. So it's just one of those things, you know, that your path twists and turns and sometimes takes you places. And um, you, can, you can always learn the lay of the land once you get there, right? Right, right. Well, I'm really thankful because I love the agriculture industry and I love being a part of it. And I, ne I never would have had that if it hadn't been for 4-H. So tell me a little bit about your career path leading up to, to uh, being a part of the 4-H organization and like even starting with college, like what did you go to college for? Sure, I went to college and I studied communications and political science. I, I knew I wanted to give back. I knew I wanted to do something kind of in the public sector in some way. But at the time there really wasn't a non, there were nonprofits of course, but there wasn't as much, um, there weren't as many nonprofits and there wasn't the career path that there is today. There, were, there weren't um, degrees in nonprofit management and such. So I did political science and communication and I used those skills every day. 
uh, interestingly enough. But I knew I wanted to I wanted to help people. And I when I was in college, I I didn't even know there was a nonprofit sector. My family didn't work in anything like that. My family were much more tradesmen, etc. And and so I didn't know this even existed until I went to college and I started volunteering as part of my you know my uh, academics. And I saw that there were people that worked in these places that I wanted to spend my volunteer time. And I thought, huh, there's something I didn't know about. And I found the nonprofit sector. And I knew that's what I wanted to do from the very beginning. So I started out and looked only for jobs there. And I've been able to work in that industry now for I don't know how many years, <laughs> um, but close to, to over 25 now at this point. So I've been thankful for that. And I started out in small um, local organizations like a homeless shelter and I, I worked at my university and I knew I wanted to help, but I, I realized that to do that, there had to be resources. So I began to learn how I self-taught myself how to write grants and how to do fundraising, how to ask for people to support the organizations I worked for. And I just grew myself into someone that could generate, um, resources that could help people. And I then progressed through organizations locally and regionally and nationally. And I, I came to 4-H in 2006. And I, I came because I saw what an amazing organization it was and that um, it needed an opportunity to tell its story in a bigger way um, so that more kids could, re could get the benefits of 4-H. And that's been, my, that's been my mission for the last 14 years. That's awesome. I love it. And uh, it's such a noble and good thing, the world of nonprofits, right? Like, especially in times like right now when, when so many people are in need or there's so much need for education or, or different parts and pieces that like the world changes and shifts. And you realize that there's these organizations out here that are maybe more important than we ever realized before. Like 4-H example, my, my kids are both in 4-H. One is a Clover kid and the other's in, in, she's a real 4-H'er now, you know, she's old enough to be uh, a real 4-H'er. And while our meetings have looked a lot different um, lately, right, we've been getting resources and uh, from from our local extension office and from our leaders and they're they're throwing things at us which is just so helpful to have one more thing to give my kids that's not the same as what maybe they're hearing from school or something like that so I, I love oh, it I'm so glad to hear that and um, I have been seeing I've been totally astounded by what cooperative extensions been doing in this time really we're looking at them the folks that are like the ones that are supporting you as really education first responders, because, you know, schools can't do it alone. Like you said, your kids have their schoolwork, but they still need, and like the whole reason we have 4-H is they need to learn in a more experiential way and in a way that doesn't involve grades and that is, is in a team environment and that leads to something, a leadership role. So, um, and has that caring adult like that is reaching out to you. So. We're really, I'm so proud of what uh, they've been doing in Cooperative Extension and it's all over the country. And I'll even send you a couple links to a few things that you might not have heard of yet that your kids might enjoy. Good, I love it. I mean, I, I've always said that about 4-H that I think it's, it's just another feather in your cap as far as expanding your horizons, being around a different group of people, you know, seeing different things and, and 
You know, I'm a big fan of, uh, we're gonna force you to stand up in front of some people and talk. And I know that's really uncomfortable, but get used to the, the rest of life being uncomfortable, right? Like that's, that's just the world that you're gonna have to grow up in. And so it's good for so many reasons. So Jennifer, you know, from the position that you sit in, which is such a, a great role, you are a great role model, and uh, you know, you're, you're in this leadership position, are there maybe one or two things that have helped you along the way? Um, you know, I, I know you already described, you, you kind of like bootstrapped and figured out how to help the organizations that you were in grow by by helping bring those resources in but is there maybe one or two lessons or things that you used along the way that helped you kind of propel upward yes yes i'll i'll kind of think about three of those i think that um have helped me grow and advance my career beyond anything that i could have dreamed of growing up in kansas city um as a, a daughter of uh you know very hardworking parents and the oldest sister of four um but I would say first is I, I, I never let, and this is what I love about 4-H and you were talking about how your kids and others that you work with in their, their clubs, they, you push them to do things they're uncomfortable with. I, I will say my, my, my parents and um, my schooling really gave me enough confidence that even when I took on something that was way bigger than I thought I could handle, um, whether it was a new job, whether it was a project or anything, I, I would look at it and I would think, well, I don't really yet know how to do this, but I will step in and try. I will, I will make my best effort. And, and you can't really move forward unless you have those uncomfortable moments and you push through them and say, it's okay if I make a mistake and I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try something that I've never done before that will push me. And that, I think, is probably the number one thing that's helped me grow as a person and as a professional. The second is I really embraced mentorship. So I always wanted feedback. I know it's not easy to hear and I really wanted feedback that was not good. You know, those that pushed me and said, this is an area that if you don't fix it, you won't be able to be a leader. Or And it really takes a caring mentor or supervisor to actually give you that thoughtful feedback. So I really encourage folks, if you have a supervisor like that, really accept it or even a colleague. Um, definitely don't give that, don't let that gift go uh, unopened because it is a true gift to help you grow, at least for me, to help me mm -hmm. grow. Um, and then the third thing is I've only focused on things I'm passionate about. So I, um, you, you ha you'll have a lot of opportunities in life. All of us will. And what one of my mentors told me, you're going to be defined more by what you say no to than by what you say yes to. And so um, making sure you know who you are and what you're passionate about, that's been my, uh, that's been a key part of my journey. Yeah, I, I love that one. And, and I think I've lived that too, right? Where um, you can um, be doing something and everything seems right. But if you're, if you're like heart and fire isn't in it, like you can't, you can't fix it, you can't change it, right? And so I guess that's why I'm sitting here talking to you <laughs> because, you know, you go through those and I think, you know, um, like age has something to do with that too. You, you figure that out along the way, what you care about and, and where you're gonna uh, step, your, step your feet and make your mark. Um, so 
Talking a little bit about the organization that 4-H is, I mean, you've you've been there for a number of years. Uh, Let's see, you said 2006, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen a lot of changes at the organization. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how it's evolved? Because I think a lot of people maybe think of it as a a rural organization, right? But, But it's definitely not. Like you've got to spread from rural, suburban, urban, and... Um, you're all over the place. So can you tell me a little bit about that evolution? We are. We are as the, we've been around for 100 years. So for more than 100 years, our roots really, as you mentioned, started in agriculture. They remain in agriculture. We are still firmly there. But we have also evolved to meet the changing needs of young people in America who um, live in all different locations. And so that takes us into programming and things like healthy living and civic engagement and STEM. And um, we really utilize that national footprint of Cooperative Extension. Um, 4-H is Cooperative Extension's uh, youth development program. And so you'll see we really develop programs where kids are. So those could be 4-H clubs, after school, camps, things in schools. And um, we have today, um, of the 6 million kids that we reach in 4-H, we're really reaching every corner of America and we also talk about, you know, extension really reaching that last mile that we can reach kids in every pocket um, of our country. And so of the of the three, six million that we serve, about half of those kids are in rural communities and the other half are in cities and suburbs. So um, we still have a huge reach in the rural communities because we are in many, many many areas we may be one of the only options besides school for kids school and church so um it's a really important role that we play i'm thankful really for all for the there's about half a million 4-h volunteers and you're probably one of them margie i think and your 4-h club leaders and we have about 3500 4-h professionals in extension and they really provide that mentoring to support to all those six million 4-hers they make the world go around when it comes to this organization. You see it, they, they give, a, it's all volunteer and it's, um, they, they put so much time in and I appreciate it so much. And I have, um, I, I go to the meetings and luckily they're on Sundays and usually I am home on Sundays, but I do travel a lot. And so it's hard for me to be able to commit to being that consistent uh, resource for my kids groups. But I see how important it is for those people who have stepped up and I do everything I can to support them because I know that, you know, they've got their own families and their own lives and their own jobs and everything at home too. So it, it is really, it makes the world go round. Um, okay, so from the seat that you sit in, what do you think the biggest challenge that, um, you know, youth across the 4-H system or youth in general uh, might face. And, and does that differ from urban to rural, you know, when you're thinking about the, the kids who are a part of the 4-H system? I would tell you, um, I don't see a difference in the needs of kids where they live. It really, I don't see a difference in the socioeconomic, you know, strategy. There's no our kids need the same things. That's why 4-H is relevant in urban areas too. And um, two things that we're really seeing um, in my trajectory, I've been in youth development for now almost 25 years. And I've seen over that time some changes. And what I would say is the two biggest things to me is the critical thinking, 
that kind of life skill development that allows a young person to adapt to the changing environment they're going to encounter. 65% um, of the jobs our kids are going to have when they grow up don't exist today. So that's different than when I grew up. We knew what jobs we could choose, we could create a pathway, we could decide what we wanted to be and then follow the path. Right. Today, you have to be able to adapt and be ready to learn, grow, and go either forge your own path or follow a path that doesn't exist when you're in school. So those skills that 4-H teaches that are not just the book skills, but those adaptive learning, experiential learning are critical, teamwork. So the second thing I've seen, um, Margie, is really that um, mental health and well-being has become much more of a priority for young people themselves. And um, again, growing up for me, I didn't, that wasn't something we talked about a lot, um, but it is front and, front and center for young people today, even before the current situation. Um, they were bringing it up a lot with us. It manifested itself in bullying and other things. But um, today um, we're seeing much more courage and much more focus by young people, not only on their own mental health, but in their kind of volunteerism and what they want to do for others and their friends, kind of protecting and creating spaces to meet the needs of their peers and friends in their communities when it comes to mental health. Yeah, and and that's so important. I mean, the head, heart, health, hands of 4-H, right? Like that, that health piece. And I have to say that I have not, um, when I grew up, like I don't remember this being a discussion topic either, but now I can say that my kids probably do include mental health in, in just their thought process and, and the health of them emotionally, right? In that like head, heart, health, hands. And so for that, that, that bodes well for our society, you know, in the next decade and, and more to come. I think so too. I'll tell you, getting a chance to work with young people in 4-H, and I'm sure you know it from your 4-H club, I have so much hope for the future, they, I have no doubt they will make the world even better than they found it. And uh, I'm just so inspired by them every day. Yeah, I just, just pay attention to what kids are doing and it does give you some hope, right? Um, okay, Jennifer, I saw in your biography that you were named to Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, which sounds awesome and exciting. And so I wanted to know, like, what does that, look like to you? What, what is that creativity that you bring to leading such a large organization that spans all across the nation? Sure. Well, it's, I mean, it's very big honor and I still am kind of like, really me, little old uh, 4-H, you know, putting us in this most creative um, people in business. But I think for, for me, it's been just not accepting the status quo. Um, not just because it's always been this way doesn't mean it always has to be this way. And I, I find this, especially when you think about older organizations, this is an amazing history that we have. And I stand as the CEO, I stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, three of whom are still alive and are still my mentors and still talk with me about at, at important times in the history of 4-H and, and I stand on their shoulders. But I also love that they're the ones that push me the most 
to do the most radical things <laughs> for 4-H. It's so funny um, because I think we all know that for 4-H to be relevant and for this program to be available for the next generation of kids, we have to do things differently. That means we have to do more digitally. That means we have to you know, break down some of the barriers. We have to make it more accessible to kids everywhere. And those are some of the things we've tried to do. And I think that's why Fast Company looked at 4-H and said, this isn't what we were expecting, especially not all the STEM and all the science that they're seeing from wind energy to computer coding to um, all the you know drone work and agriculture. Just it, the variety, I think, is why, um, is where the creativity in 4-H comes out. Yeah, and it, it's, I think it's a really cool thing to look at the 4-H organization and, and what's happened um, and how it's evolved because agriculture as a whole, right, is um, it the disconnect and the divide with people is ever increasing and it's probably not ever going to change, right? There's always less farmers and and uh, there, there becomes this divide of, of, you know, like, yes, I do spend my time on farms, but I can tell you that none of my neighbors do, right? And, and they don't see that. And, um, you know, the, this discussion about how we keep it relevant and in front of people, and you guys have really made a great pivot. So you're still relevant over here, but you've expanded and grown so that you can, you know, have that uh, long look into the future. Well, and I'll tell you, you know who's helped us do that has been our alumni because they are incredible and they go on to do things from being ambassadors around the world to being amazing farmers to being leaders in Silicon Valley and the media. And our alumni have really helped us tell that story. Um, two thirds of our alumni grew up in rural areas and two-thirds of them today live in suburban and urban areas. So they are really important ambassadors for agriculture, and we are trying to mobilize them, equip them, and let them be a part of that bridge that needs to happen for agriculture. And 4-H alumni are especially ready to do that. That's awesome. I, I love that. It's a, it's a built-in like uh, billboard, right, that you've got. So... Jennifer, what is the biggest challenge that you face? Um, you know, no matter who we are, no matter where we sit, no matter what uh, we do, there's always challenges, right? So w what's the biggest thing that you have in front of you? Well, I think probably there's, um, I would say for our organization, for 4-H, there's probably two of the biggest ones, but probably the biggest one is how we, um, and we're working on it, but how we adapt to the needs of what the 4-Hers and the youth are going to need in 20 years, 25 years, how we lay the groundwork for that, because we're already seeing changing patterns in volunteerism and in how learning happens. This is an example of a time that's pushing that beyond its normal boundaries. And um, what I'm so impressed about is 4-H is better at adapting than I ever thought it would be. <laughs> like we talked about at the beginning, but there's a lot more still to do. And what we have to build in is not just the skill building, but as you know, the benefit of 4-H is also that social and emotional learning and the um, confidence building, the grit, the I'm going to overcome, even if I don't win the blue ribbon, I'm going to try again. Uh, those kinds of things and figuring out how to do those at a larger scale using technology is going to stretch us in new ways. And I think that kind of taking that bridge for 4-H 
and uh, ensuring that we can do all the things we do in person, but also add in expansion that can be in a different environment will be one of our biggest challenges. Yeah. Um, and, and we live in such a strange time. I feel like everything changes so super fast, right? And we as a society over the last uh, weeks and, and months have been forced to figure out different ways of, of connecting and, and doing and being together. And um, yet, like I said, I've, I've seen 4-H on the forefront of that. So I have no doubt that it'll continue to, to be a driving force there. Um, so what would you tell someone? Because I, I do get this sometimes um, amongst maybe uh, people that I know in our community who I've maybe said, you know, your kids should join 4-H and they're like, oh, well, you know, that's really not, you know, that's for farm kids, right? <laughs> what would you tell somebody who's not sure if 4-H is for them? Sure. Well, I would first ask do you, if they wanted to be on a positive trajectory in life. So a trajectory that's going to head them in a positive direction. That's what 4-H does. I mean, we develop what we call true leaders. And that means those are leaders that aren't always the ones that talk the most or aren't always the ones that are up front, but that are giving back, making a difference and changing people's lives around them. So I would ask if that's what you wanted to be, a true leader, then 4-H is for you. And leadership can look very different in very different ways. So um, 4-H really has something for everyone. I think you probably know that if you've been around 4-H, you see the uniqueness and the personality and the affirmation of all young people and that they can do what they want to try and explore in 4-H. And if you want your young person to be a leader, if you're a parent and you want your young person to be happy in life and to be satisfied, our alumni surveys tell us that our 4-Hers, um, as they grow up, really have a, almost a 10-point differential between non-4-H alumni and alumni in their satisfaction in life and their happiness and that they're in a career that they like because they had a lot of support going into that phase of adulthood. And that's really what 4-H can do. So if I was a parent, I would have my kids absolutely in 4-H. It is a game changer for developing young people um, outside of just their schoolwork, but in a way that makes them a whole person that gives back, is a contributor, and, and really is headed in a positive trajectory. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. You know, my uh, daughter, the older she gets, you know, like if, if there's maybe the, the few people who are closer friends to hers aren't going to be there at a meeting and she's not sure if she wants to go, of course you need to go because this is where you get the chance to maybe talk to people that you wouldn't normally get to talk to. And, and it puts you in these different situations, which I just think is so important. Um, are there any stories of success uh, throughout the years maybe? Like, is there any story that's bubbled up that, that sticks with you that like is your like, this is my why story? Sure. Well, I had, there's a number of those for me, but I'll tell you the story of, um, of one of the young people I've had a chance to meet, Andres Para, who I met through our 4-H program in Arizona, where he was, and he has, his story has a number of dimensions to it, but I met him when he was in high school. He had been recruited by 4-H to, so he joined 4-H as a teenager, and he learned about it through his school. And he was really beginning to think about uh, a healthier lifestyle. He was overweight and he was really wanting to be a better example for his little siblings. Andres is his name and his mom and dad. 
So we joined 4-H and he became a healthy living ambassador at the Tucson Village Farm, which is a 4-H program from Cooperative Extension. Have you been there? We just filmed there. You love it? I love it. I love it. Yeah, we'll show some footage here about it because it's, yes, yes, I love it. I love Tucson Village Farm. It's an urban farm. And Andres is a, his, he is a first generation American. So he and his family didn't really know how to navigate higher ed or anything like that. So Cooperative Extension helped him do that. He won a national award. So he got to come to Washington, D.C., got to meet the president, got to meet with us and learn how to do public speaking along the way. And today uh, he just texted me. He's been out of 4-H for a couple of years, but Andres texted me um, about two months ago, three months ago, and told me about that he'd gone on and he now has a job with Boeing and he works on the aircraft and his he, he's able to provide for himself. He got married. And I'm like, I, this is awesome. He was a young man who was really lost and getting into trouble before H helped him find a purpose and he was able to inspire people around him. And now he's contributing and being a, a great member of society. So Andres Parra is one of my that's one of the stories that keeps me going. Yeah. And there are so many of them. I mean, even when I was at Tucson Village Farm, I met a, another young man, not not him, who um, has a story by being engaged in that in that location and that 4-H program um, has changed his life. And so, yeah, there, there's so many of them. It's countless, but I'm so excited to hear. One other one that I'll tell you, because I can't leave him behind, and that is um, another program I spend a lot of time with is my home state of Missouri, and they have an amazing program called 4-H um, Youth Futures, and it's a college readiness program, especially for kids from mostly the urban core, and um, some of the kids are homeless, some of the kids have parents that are really not contributing, and these 4-H educators, um, they, they support the kids, they help their families, and Rodney is one of the young people I met when he was in high school. And I remember thinking, wow, he's got a long way to go to get to college. But our 4-H folks believed in him, and I have loved it. I've seen Rodney. He's in his third year of college now. I go back. He's in Fer near St. Louis. And I go back every summer, and I see him. Now he's a college student. He's leading the younger kids and teaching them. And so those stories where I see 4-H just really changing the the changing the pathway, changing the trajectory of a young person's life are what I, I live for and why I, I dedicate so much of my time to 4-H. Well, you just answered my last question. It was, why do you do what you do? What keeps you coming back every day? And I think you just answered that. So thank you for doing what you do. It matters. It really does. So I feel like being having the privilege of investing in the future, when I think about the issues we face as a country and the competitiveness we need to maintain, the, uh, you know, the, the issues we have in agriculture, all the opportunity, I, um, my hope really is around the young people. And I feel so fortunate that I have so much confidence in them that if we give them these skills, they will be able to solve the problems that come, even the problems that we don't know about today. So while I also think it's important to focus on the issues and the challenges, I look at investing in the young people as a broad solution to whatever may come. And uh, I'm really grateful for the chance to do that. And I'm thankful to you for letting us tell a little bit of that story and for having your kids in 4-H. Oh, yeah. Well, it's important. And again, thank you for, for being with us and for doing what you do. So how about that? Isn't she amazing? 
I'm so happy that our paths crossed. I am so happy to have her here on Shining Bright so that you all could hear her story of leadership and her focus and her drive to help kids all around the country through 4-H. So here's my charge to you. Uh, if you have kids or grandkids and they're not engaged in 4-H, I'd seek out a local chapter. No matter where you are, I promise that there's a chapter you can go through your state extension office to find that. And you know, it's gonna be a unique experience. Again, my kids are in 4-H and none of the kids that are in their 4-H group are actually in their school classes or on any of their sports teams. So it's something different and unique for them. And I get this like little shot of glee whenever they have to stand up, get out of their comfort zone and talk in front of the group about something that they came up with because that, my friends, is something that will carry them so far in life. So find your local 4-H chapter. Thank you for joining us here on Shining Bright.